I'm singing this thing that, well, I didn't trust in Jesus alone this week. Um, I've had all kinds of fears and anxieties and doubts and insecurities and ways that I've said yes to sin and run towards sin rather than to Jesus. And um, we want, as we're continuing to, to build a new church together, we want it to be a place where we're honest about those things. Where, where we don't come in here, like this should be the one day a week where we just are totally honest about who we are and where we're broken and where we need Jesus. And and so I just want to invite you, like, again, if you're comfortable, just just extend your arms. Like like I said, there's nothing magical about this. It's just sometimes it's helpful to get our body in a posture um, and, and our heart to follow it. So just put your hands out. Maybe think of the ways, again, that you've hoped in something other than Jesus this week. He's not surprised by that. He's not turning his back on you because of that. He's saying, my son, my daughter, I know. The father's saying that. He's saying, I, I, I sent my son because of that. And Jesus is saying, like we said at the beginning of this, bring those burdens to me. So Jesus, we do confess that we trusted in things other than you this morning. That what we're doing as we worship is we're, we're re-aiming our worship. We've had it aimed on all kinds of other things. And, and we aim it back towards you. We need you, Jesus. We are hopeless without you. And we confess that you are our only hope in life and death. It's in your name and with the confidence that if we put our hope in you, we are saved. And we are brought into the family of God that we pray. Amen. Hey, y'all, you can go ahead and grab a seat. And I want to invite... Aiden and Katie to come on up here. Um, if you were here with us last week, y'all can stand over here on my right side, your left. Uh, if you were with us last week, we introduced Blake and Marissa. Uh, they're good friends who have felt the call of the Lord to move their lives from Oklahoma to North Carolina to be a part of what the Lord's doing here. And uh, they're not the only ones. Blake and or, uh, Aiden and Katie got here two, three days ago? What days ago? Uh, Wednesday. Wednesday, however many days that is. Uh, they got here Wednesday. Um, Y'all also got married like... A, the Friday before. The Friday before. Okay, so in case you aren't tracking. Uh, married the Friday before that. Quick little honeymoon. Moved here, arrived Wednesday. So uh, new job, new marriage. Like, man, we're so stoked to have you guys here. And um, I, I hope that your faith is built like mine is when you experience, man, that, that Jesus really wants this to happen. I, this, I, I know it's awkward and it's difficult to start a new work together, um, but Jesus is clearly in it. There are people who would uproot their lives and move across the country. And again, like we've said, I know for a lot of you guys, you're like, yeah, that's like a normal Tuesday for me in the military. Um, what is normal to those in the military is not normal uh, to the rest of folks. And so we're, we're stoked that you guys are here. And we just want to take this opportunity um, to pray over you. So I, I just want to invite you, when, when we pray, we pray together. Though there may be somebody kind of up front praying out loud. So this is not a time where we just kind of listen to someone else intercede and talk to God. This is time where we do it all together. So I want to invite you uh, to pray with me. Hey, Father, we're so grateful for Katie and for Aiden, and um, I bless and honor uh, your work in their life. Um, we, we honor the courage that they've had to say, you know what, we, we don't have all the answers, we don't know exactly how things are gonna go or what it's gonna look like, we, uh, 
aren't familiar with North Carolina, but we're going there. And I pray that we would all know that that's because you're worth it, Jesus. Um, we're saying, Jesus, you have the words of life. Where else are we going to go? And so we, uh, like, like Aiden and Katie, following in their faith, say, Jesus, where would you call us to lay down our lives? I pray that you would um, bless them in their new marriage. I pray that you would protect them from the attack of the enemy. Um, he really wants to get it right by, by causing division between them. And so we just pray against that. Pray that you would protect them. Um, God, I pray that um, where it can be lonely, saying goodbye to friends and coming to a place where they don't know anyone, um, I pray that you would uh, enable friendships to happen quickly here. Um, that, that when they are lonely, when they are sad, that, that that's not a surprise. That's not going to make anybody here um, say, just get over it. Um, but I pray that they would be quick to tap somebody in and say, hey, could you come encourage us? Could you come pray for us? Um, and, and I'm excited to explore the ways that you're going to uh, use both Aiden and Katie as we, as we continue to just lay the bricks of uh, the foundation of what you want to happen here. It's your church, Jesus. We're your people. It's in your name that we pray and in your grace and your spirit's power that we ask for. Amen. Amen. Hey, just want to say welcome one more time. You know what's crazy is before ABK even got here, because of Jesus, they were our brother and sister in the family of God. And that's amazing. And all of us at one time were strangers. And Jesus made us friends. He made us sons and daughters of the Father. And so we want to model the hospitality of Jesus right now and just... Move around the room and meet somebody that you don't know. Move towards somebody and greet them this morning. Yeah. Uh, it's good to see you guys. Let's go to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, turn there or, uh, or uh, oh, turn your Bible on if you got it on your phone. We'll be in uh, John chapter 4. Uh, a, couple, a couple just announcements as we head there. The, the first is, um, if you don't know, we are a brand new church plant. Right, so brand new church plant, just getting started, kind of exploring together what the Lord would call us to do. And um, I want to encourage you, if this is your first week with us, or maybe one of your first few weeks, um, being called to be a part of, of starting a new work together um, it is a, uh, it is not a decision to make lightly. So like, there's no pressure for you to decide, okay, I need to decide this week if I'm in or if I'm not, if I'm going to become a member, if I'm not. You are totally free to just hang out with us for a while, kind of learn uh, what we're all about, ask questions. Uh, myself, Blake, Aiden, other leaders here would, would love to, uh, to meet you, hear your story. You can um, also, let me just uh, make you aware of this. There's a welcome card at the table in the back. Um, if it's your first week or one of your first few, if you could just fill this out and turn it in, it would help us um, be able to reach out to you. Any prayer requests you have, anything like that, you can put that um, on the back of that card, uh, on the back of that card as well. Um, now, if you are a member of the core team, you were like, I, this is my church, uh, I'm becoming a member here, I'm, I'm linking arms and saying, let's, because Jesus is worth it, let's make much of him together. Um, we also want to be family in, in giving. Uh, we, as we give of our finances, we generously respond to the greatness of Jesus. And so um, just in this time, we're like, we're not passing buckets. It can be, there's been questions about how in the world do I do that? A um, couple different options. You can go online to frontlinechurchnc forward slash dot com forward slash give. And there's a few different options there. There's also a uh, silver box in the back at that check-in table where you can drop off a check or cash there. 
Um, if you are visiting, hanging out with us, let me just say, you aren't obligated to give at all. We're just stoked that you're here. Um, the other thing, no, those are the only two things. Okay, John chapter 4, I'm going to read <laughs> verses 28 and 29, and then we're going to ask for God's help, and really we'll be in, in most of this chapter this morning. John 4 verse 28, God's word speaks to us like this. Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, come see a man speaking about Jesus, who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Father, we, um, we don't want to hurry. We don't want to rush into your word without stopping and taking a moment to say, Spirit of God, would you do what you love to do? As we turn to your word, would you give us open eyes and open ears and soft hearts? Um, we pray that even what, what may be familiar to some of us, that we would see with fresh eyes this morning. Jesus, we want to see you in this. And Spirit, we know that, that what you love to do is make much of Jesus. And uh, so we pray that you would just make Jesus really big to us this morning as, as we turn to this word. We, we confess, God, that your word is, uh, is authoritative. We pray that as a people, we would have the humility. That's what it means to be a Bible-focused people, that, that we would have the humility to place ourselves and our lives under the authority of your word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've revealed to us who you are and who we are and just all that you've done to save us through the person and work of Jesus in our place. It's in your name, Jesus, and, and for your fame that we pray. Amen. 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 Well, um, this morning, we're going to talk a bit about our vision again. So as a new church, one, one of the things that we want to do is continue to just center ourselves around what is the vision that the Lord's calling us to. And um, that vision statement can be, can be said really simply. We want to be a faithfully present people who know Christ and make him known. That, that's what we're all about. Like everything that we do from this day forward, from, from last fall forward, uh, when some of us began meeting in homes, is to say, God, we want to, by your grace and through your Spirit's power, we want to be a faithfully present people who know Christ and who make him known. Um, the reality of the world that we live in is we tend to live our lives as anything but present people. We, and here's, here's uh, a sign that you may know this. If, you are, uh, if you're married or you know someone who has, maybe you've heard the phrase, hey, you're here, but you're not really here. Uh, which often, if you want to confuse, especially a man, that's a good phrase to confuse a man. Because as a guy, you're going to be like, wait a second, I'm, I'm physically occupying this space. What do you mean that I'm not here? It, it is objectively true. There's data and matter and molecules. I am right here. And then maybe you've heard your wife respond, well, you're here, but you're not really here. Uh, we live a lot of our lives that way, just kind of detached, moving from moment to moment, not really present with people, not really present with ourselves. We don't really know why we respond the ways that we do, not present with God. And in all of that, we want to say, because Jesus was faithfully present, he wants us as his people to be faithfully present as well. So we're going to look at this in, uh, in John chapter 4. And um, you'll experience that... Um, that, that in preaching, like what's normal for us, what will be normal for us, is just to walk through books of the Bible. So in the fall, in September, we're going to start Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. We're going to start Philippians. 
And we'll be in that really throughout all the fall up until Advent around Christmas time. That's what will be normal. Um, and, and again, we'll just kind of go line by line through, uh, uh, through Philippians because I, I believe Jesus knows better what he wants for you than, than I do. And uh, I'm not very creative, so I can't come up with cool sermon series like, uh, like other people do. And uh, I think it's a good thing because it keeps us tied to scripture. Um, there are times when, you know, the, the sermons will be, okay, here's three points, three really clear points with these applications. And then there are times where I think it's actually helpful to just roll through the text, to just like, hey, we're going to slowly roll through the text together and make some observations. And that's what this morning is, is going to feel like. I, I want you to not just see, but I want you to experience how present Jesus is in this interaction. And this is one of many interactions that Jesus has. But this really is, like if, if I think of what's a text that embodies what it means to be faithfully present. It's John 4 and his interaction with this woman at the well. And so let's begin to break this down together. Uh, John, close follower of Jesus, he begins chapter 4 like this. He says, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, uh, Pharisees were religious leaders. If you're not familiar with the gospel, that's okay. They are not a big fan of Jesus. They are always picking on Jesus, always nitpicking everything that he does. So when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he, Jesus, left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to, we'll come back to that, he had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. So what's going on here, it's really important to get. Jesus hears that the Pharisees, they've heard that Jesus is baptizing more people than John was. He knows they're going to get upset. And so Jesus, it, it, he has this weird habit, especially at the beginning of the Gospels, of he just, he's there and then he's, he's kind of gone. He goes on to a new place. He's not in this moment going to deal with a lot of the controversy surrounding his ministry. He's going to go from Judea up into Galilee, which was to the north. And, and John wants us to know that he's going through this area called Samaria. And when he puts, like when he says he left Judea, went again to Galilee, he had to travel through Samaria. For us, because we're not familiar with either the geography or what's going on here, that just seems like, okay, Samaria is the most direct route to Judea, which is true. But actually during this time, a proper Jewish person, which Jew Jesus was, would not have gone through Samaria. They would have actually gone further out east across this river and gone up the east side of the river, making the trip a lot longer and a lot more dangerous. So we should ask, well, why would Jewish people avoid Samaria? Because Jewish people believed Samaritans were half-breeds. They were constantly in turmoil together that often spilled over into war. And so a Jewish person, there were Jewish people who would have thought to even go into the area of Samaria would make you unclean. That's how much they hated this, these people. And Jesus says, no, we, we have to go through Samaria. Like, what we're going to see is that there's a very specific thing that the Father intended for Jesus to do in Samaria. And Jesus is like, hey, we're going to go through Samaria together. Another observation to make about this. I, I think this is easy to miss, right? 
It says in verse 6 that Jesus was worn out from his journey. So many of us picture Jesus like he's this ethereal spirit that just wanders around. He's God, so he doesn't, he, he, he doesn't really get thirsty, he doesn't get hungry. John is showing us the humanity of Jesus. He, he's showing us, yes, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. And if you and I, like if you were to, we're going to have a picnic that's, I don't know, five miles that way. Uh, after this gathering, if you were to go walk there, you'd be pretty thirsty by the time you showed up. This is what's happening with Jesus. Look at verse 7, how this continues on. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Look at this woman's response. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So John helps us in case we're not familiar with the social dynamics. And he says, Jewish people do not talk with Samaritans. There is so much going on in this interaction that is like antithetical to what follows actually happening. Um, even if Jesus hadn't been in Samaria, if he had been in Jerusalem and he had gone to a well, the well would not have had people around it in the middle of the day because women went to the well early in the morning when it was cooler to carry water. There's kind of one strike against this happening. Not only that, he's in Samaria. A Jewish person probably wouldn't have gone through Samaria and certainly wouldn't have stopped to get water in Samaria. There's another strike. Then this is a woman, and culturally things are different during this time. A, a Jewish man would not have spoken with a Jewish woman who wasn't his family member and wasn't his wife, and certainly wouldn't have spoken with any Samaritan, much less a Samaritan woman. And what you see in Jesus is how absolutely present he is in this moment. Jesus is a different kind of man, and he's on a different kind of mission. He's here in this moment. He is blowing past every social norm that would have existed during this time, and he's actually engaging with this woman. This woman, will find out later, she's a moral outcast. John means for us when he says the hour was noon, it was about the sixth hour, John means for us to say, well, wait a second, what's she doing at the well? No one goes to the well to draw water at noon. He's trying to show us something about this woman. She's a moral outcast. Um, we'll find out later in her story the reason she's a moral outcast, but she's here because she would not have been welcomed by the other women at 6 a.m. or 9 a.m. in the morning when women would normally go and collect water. But Jesus is there with her. Th this woman would have gone to the well at noon so that she didn't have to face the ire and the glances and the voices underneath people's breath speaking about her. And she gets there, and there's this man, Jesus. And he asks her for a drink of water. He, de he doesn't even have anything to drink with. Um, and she'll point that out later. But I think what's interesting about that is that would have meant that for him to take a drink of water, he would have had to drink from her cup of water. And uh, during this time, like... This would not have happened. No one would have drank after her because Jewish people and Samaritans would have believed that the saliva makes you unclean and him sharing this, this water cup with her would have made him unclean. 
but he's just present. He's present in this moment. He's going for her. Look at what happens as they continue. She's like, wait a second. Why would you ask me for a drink of water? This isn't good. This isn't normal. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now, one of the reasons that I like to in preaching, just roll through the text, is if you've grown up in the church, you get familiar with passages like these, and you don't really think about what would it be like if you were sitting there. Just think, if you're this woman, you're going there to be alone so that you don't have to deal with talking with other people who are going to look down on you. You feel all kinds of shame. There's this guy there that you know is a Jewish guy. He says, give me a drink of water. Like, Well, that's weird. Well, you don't even have anything to drink it with, and I know you're not going to drink out of my cup. And then Jesus says, that just what would you think? If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. That's a weird thing to say. It's okay to admit that, right? It's okay with some of these interactions in Scripture to say, that's just a little weird. Why, like, why would he say that? Well, he continues on. She responds in verse 11. Well, sir, said the woman, uh, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? She's like, what living water? Is that a new kind of propel drink that I've not heard of? How are you going to get it? You don't have anything to draw it with. It says in verse 12, you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus continues this interaction in verse 13 and says, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Again, Jesus is going after something that at first glance feels and sounds weird. He's like, hey, if you drink the water that I'll give you, you'll never be thirsty again. We're like, well, I'm always thirsty at multiple times a day. You don't even have any jug around you. Sir, the woman said to him in verse 15, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. So she says, actually, that sounds great because this is the place of my greatest shame to come to this place where the community has abandoned me. I'm coming here in the heat of the day. I would love to not have to do this. So I don't have to be reminded of my shame every single day. She's like, yes, please. If you have that water, give me a drink. Look what Jesus says. Verse 16. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. Look at how she responds. I don't have a husband. I used to read what Jesus says here. He's talking about living water. And then it's very abrupt for him to say, okay. I'll give you this living water. Go call your husband. And she answers and answers truthfully. She says, I don't have a husband. But we'll find out that's not the whole truth. Look what Jesus says right after this. You've correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. I think I've always read this text like it's some sort of gotcha moment. She's like, I don't, have a whole, I don't have a husband, which is like true, but it's not the whole truth. The reason that she's at the well during this time is because she had had five husbands and she's shacking up and playing house with a guy who's not her husband. 
She doesn't want Jesus to know that, certainly. The whole town would have known that. But she doesn't just offer that to Jesus. And then Jesus says, I think I've always read the tone in this verse. Jesus being like, ha you're right, you don't. You have five, I'm God, I know all of that. And the guy you're living with right now isn't your husband. That tone, though, is foreign to what's actually in this text. I think really what's happening here is this is the one question that she doesn't want to be asked. It's just the one, it's like that one part of her story. She's like, this is just, I cannot bear having to share this part of my story again, which is why she would say, well, I don't have a husband. Not, well, Jesus, actually, I've had five. The guy I'm living with right now, he's not my husband. She just tries to get away from this question, understandably. I think we all have, this is why I say most of us learn to not be present in our own stories. Because there are certain questions that Jesus could ask you that would feel exactly like this did to this woman. That's the one thing. That's the one area of my life that's just off limits. I can't even face opening that door in my heart. And Jesus goes for that area. And he does it with presence and compassion. He's here for this woman. He's here for this moment. He has a purpose. This is the one question she doesn't want to answer. And so I mean, maybe if you would have the courage to be present in your story right now, just think about what's that question for me? What's that question that I hope as we grow as a family together that people just don't ask me about that because I just can't handle it. There's too much shame. There's too much guilt. That has been the thing that has made people turn their back on me. That's the reason why I'm out here at the well, away from everybody. Community has abandoned me. That's why. And what Jesus does is he goes right for her heart. Verse 17, again, I don't have a husband, she answered. He says, you've correctly said I don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands. The man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. Now look what she does. Understandably, I think when we're asked those kind of questions, when we're forced to be present in our own stories in that way, or when somebody else is trying to be present in that part of our lives, we get a bit squirmy, right? The thing about that question is when somebody asks you, hey, tell me about your family. Hey, tell me about your husband. Hey, why don't you have kids? When people go for that part in our story, we start to squirm, right? And you'll experience it from this woman. Look what she does. Verse 19, sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. This woman is like, speaking of sin, let's now talk about where we're supposed to worship. Are we supposed to go to this church? Or are we supposed to go to this church? Is it on this mountain or is it on this mountain? This woman is completely understandably saying, I don't want to have this conversation anymore. Let's do a theological debate. Luckily, we're over that in the church, right? We, we never avoid being present with each other and just shift to, let's just have a theological debate of what version we should use in church or whatever it is. And she jumps into this. Now, look, Jesus engages her. Verse 21, Jesus told her, believe me, woman. Uh, quick side note, guys. Uh, different cultural moment. Don't refer to your wife or anyone else as woman, okay? This is, this is actually a respectful term of endearment. Culturally, right now, it is not a respectful turn of endearment for you to say, hey, woman, you just skipped my question. That's not what Jesus is doing, okay? Okay. Believe me, woman, an hour is coming 
when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, but an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus engages her question. She goes to this theological debate. Well, hang on. We say you're supposed to worship on this mountain. Samaritans do. Jewish people say you're supposed to worship on this mountain. And really simply, really shortly, there's a lot here. We could spend a lot of time just in these few verses. What Jesus says is there is something happening that means it's not going to be a place that we go to to worship God. It's going to be in spirit and in truth. We'll no longer have to go to a specific place. This is one of the things Jesus has come to do. So it's not going to be about geography. It's going to be about a changed heart. It's going to be a changed heart through Jesus that makes us right with God and enables us to worship God. Look what happens. She, she kind of continues with this, just squirming a bit. Verse 25, the woman said to him, well, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. She, she kind of is like, well, we can agree to disagree. When the Messiah comes, the promised rescuer, the deliverer of Israel, when he comes, he'll tell us. Look what Jesus says. Jesus told her, I the one speaking to you and me. Verse 27, just then his disciples arrived. They were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? They're amazed, but they're not really present like Jesus is. Because they're like, I'm not even going to touch this. Sometimes when we ask questions, we're dumb questions, and Jesus chastises us. I'm just, we're not even going to ask questions. Verse 28, then the woman, this is so huge. Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Okay, again, man, especially if you're familiar with this text. This woman is at the well at noon precisely so that she does not have to be around other people because she cannot handle the shame in her story. And something changes with Jesus to where she not only goes back into the town to everyone who knows their story, but her lead off freight. Just think about this. Maybe they, I don't know, maybe they got a little tavern down there and they're in there drinking beer or espresso. Who knows? Whatever they're doing. They're in there. She blows through the doors. Just picture being there. This is a woman that you know. She's had five husbands. She's living with a guy who's not her husband. Her story is marked with all kinds of sin and shame. And she blows in the doors and says, hey guys, come meet him. I've met a new man. I think people would say, oh, Girl, you need time away from men. A new man. A, a, what happened to these other five and then this one that you're living with? Do you see what she does? This part of her story that was that part that she was like, I don't want anyone going there. I don't want to ask, answer any questions around that. It's too much pain. Something happens. And she goes, and that's the lead-off story. Come meet a man who told me everything. Jesus' presence in her story caused her to be present in her own story, so much so that the thing she tried to hide from everyone becomes the thing that she now puts on display to everyone. Hey, I've met another man, and this man is utterly different than every other man I've met. 
Just think about this. We, we are wired, again, understandably, to those parts in our story, especially where we feel shame, especially those parts where people have turned their backs on us before, where we have felt like I'm walking around with a scarlet letter on my chest. That's the place that Jesus goes for in her story. And then she goes and puts that part of her story on display to everyone else. The, the more I read this, the more amazed I am that this woman went in and said, I've met another man. You come and meet him also. It's incredible. It's incredible. She had an encounter with the Messiah Jesus. You want to know something else that amazes me about this? I think it's easy to miss. Do you want to know who the first person, the first recorded person that Jesus explicitly reveals himself as the promised Messiah to? This woman. This woman. This is the first time that Jesus has explicitly said, I am the Messiah. I am the rescuer. Hey friends, there are some of you who think certainly Jesus doesn't want to be around you. That when you hear that the Father loves you, that he sent the Son to rescue you, you immediately think to a part of your story that you're like, not me. Uh-uh. Not me. This would have been her. Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to this woman. In the midst of her shame, in the midst of her guilt, he's present with her, and it causes her to then be present with other people. She doesn't try to hide. She doesn't, so often when we share our testimony, it's like, man, things in my life used to be messed up, but I met Jesus and everything's better now. She's like, no, 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 no. You all know. You all know everything about my story. It's why I cannot go at the, in the, at the normal part of the day to go get water. You all know this. But there's this person, Jesus. He's come, the rescuer, the Messiah, the deliverer, the one who's come to give us new hearts, the one who's come to cleanse us of our sins. She says, I've met him. I want you to come and see him. This story continues on in verse 31. We're going to skip a few verses um, it's actually a kind of a funny interaction. The disciples come back, and they're confused about what's going on. They're like, hey, we brought food, and Jesus is like, I already have food. And they're like, well, where'd you get food? Food from your father? What's good? The disciples just kind of miss it. They, hey, if you're somebody who lacks presence, it's okay. His disciples did too. We're all on a journey of learning to be faithfully present. Verse 39, look what happens in this town after this woman's interaction with Jesus. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman had said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. They believe in Jesus. They're drawn to Jesus because of this part of her story. Friend, I'm just telling you, man, there are parts of your story that you think if people knew this about me, they'd leave me. They wouldn't want to be around Jesus, that Jesus actually intends through those parts of your story that other people might say, could it be that he really is the Messiah? Could it be that because you've been forgiven, I could also be forgiven? Man, the story of our lives is not look how great I am, it's look how great Jesus is. And this is what she does. She doesn't come back with, hey, here's 15 things that I'm going to do to make sure that I never blow it again. She comes back and says, I've, I've, I've met a man and he's different than every other man that I've met. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, to Jesus, 
They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And then look at this. Look at their story now. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. This woman displays remarkable courage. The level of courage it took for her to not just say, okay, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Now I'm going to hang out with you because you're the only person that's not shamed me in my whole life. The courage it took for her to go back into this town where everyone knew the real her and to say, I've met a man and I want you to meet that man. I just invite you to think, like, what are those areas of your life? What are those places? Who are those friends that you're like, I can't even talk to them anymore because they know the real me, that maybe Jesus is saying, hey, you go invite them to meet me as well. This is what it means for us to be faithfully present with other people. Not that we've got all the answers, but that we know the one who does have all the answers. And we want to, as a people, as we continue to grow, invite people to Jesus. We're not saying, hey, come with me to Frontline on Sunday because it's amazing and we've got it all together. We don't. It's confusing here. We, very few people know where the bathrooms are. It gets weird and funky as you head down that. There's like nothing comfortable here. We're not inviting people to this place because we've got it all together, because we're the perfect church. We know a perfect Savior, and we can say like this woman, come meet a man who's told us all that we ever did who is drawn to us in spite of our sin, in spite of our shame. We want to be a faithfully present people. So friends, let me just invite you to come to Jesus. That question you're terrified of answering for yourself, Jesus knows about that. Just offer it to him. Just say, Jesus, I, this area of my life, I, I keep trying to forget it, and here it is. Offer it to Jesus. Don't hide. You don't have to hide. There's nothing you're going to reveal about who you are that's going to be a surprise to Jesus. And by the grace of God, man, can we labor for this church to be the same way. For us to say, your life's a mess. You've blown it big time. Me too, friend. Let's run to Jesus together. Let's heed Jesus' call when he tells another woman caught in her sin, go and sin no more. He doesn't say, go and figure yourself out, then come back to me. Don't hide. And then bring others. Might this be a safe place where we can say, hey, come here about a man who's told me all that I ever did. Blake's going to come up here now, and um, we're going to go to the Lord's table together. And um, I, I just want to ask you, again, I, I know that not everyone who's here would say, consider themselves a follower of Jesus. And if that's you, that's okay. Um, in this moment, like, I just want to ask you to honor us by not taking this meal. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you've confessed your sins, believed in Jesus as your only hope in life and death. There's communion elements under your seat or somewhere around you, and I want to invite you to grab that. Let me speak first to my friends who, who would maybe say, I, um, I don't consider myself a follower of Jesus. I really don't believe that Jesus would accept me. I really don't believe you would accept me if you knew the real me. 
Maybe today your experience of Jesus is you out at the well. You're there because of shame in your story. And my hope for you is that you hear Jesus' invitation to say, hey, I've got water and I've got food. He's come to rescue you. What we celebrate in this moment is that Jesus loved us so much that he would actually give himself in our place. That the way that our bodies deserve to be crushed because of our rebellion against God, Jesus says, I'm taking that. And our blood that deserved to be poured out because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, Jesus says, it's my blood that's going to be poured out. The invitation for you this morning is just come to Jesus. If you have questions about that, please talk with me afterwards. Please don't leave here. Like, you can leave this place knowing that you are a forgiven son or daughter of God. So if there's any confusion about whether or not you are, don't leave. Don't leave. Tomorrow's not promised. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you're in Christ, I want you to remember one of the reasons that we labor so much to be present with each other and with other people is because Jesus is present with us. And Jesus met all of us at the well in our own unique ways. And he reminds us through this meal of his presence. So I want to invite you to take the bread. security in the midst of us saying, can I really be forgiven that you point us to this table? And you say, as sure as you can taste this bread and as sure as you can taste this wine, that's how sure you can be. I really have forgiven you. We thank you, Jesus, that you've met each of us. I pray for my friends who are wrestling, who are struggling with doubt. I pray that you would meet them. I pray that they would hear you and invite them to yourself and that they would have the faith to respond. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.